Okay, so uh, this is uh, Gilmore Gang Zoom edition. And we're done. <laughs> that was good, Steve. Real, real good. We zoom in, we zoom out. Okay, so uh, the various voices. We've got uh, Frank Raddus uh, without his virtual uh, Big Ben look. Uh, so that, however, is a clue as to where he is, which is London. Uh, Hello. Hey, sorry. Yeah. Frank is the one that used to have Big Ben behind him. We'll yeah. all we'll see that. Can you put that on just for a second, Frank, so that we yeah. can up? Sure. I like it. All right. Uh, you guys keep going while I go and find it again. Was it in preferences? Yeah. 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 Hang on. Virtual background. Big Ben. Hmm. Great. It's, it's it's the headphones that that. that yeah, yes, it is. It it's the maw fricket look. Yeah, it's, is that better? Ah, I'll put them up behind my head. There we go. You look like the bombardier on a World War II flying. Hi, uh, mighty. Drop them bombs. Okay, so that's Frank Raddus. Uh, Dennis Pombriant just spoke. Uh, he's in, uh, where are you? Massachusetts. Rainy suburban Boston. It's raining again. And uh, welcome, Dennis. Pleasure to be here. I, I tried to get Dennis to delay, and he said, well, I'd rather not. <laughs> so here we are. It's raining. Hey. I get to get outside, catch raindrops. Um, they keep falling on your head? Sort of. Also uh, in the United States, uh, in the upper Pacific Northwest is Michael Markman. How do you do? I'm in Kirkland, suburban Seattle, where oddly enough, it's sunshining today at the moment. Ground zero. Ground zero. Yes. Rounding out the gang is uh, Keith's here in uh, Palo Alto. Hi, everyone. Hi, Keith. Hey, you look like you're in a virtual background, actually. Your shot's so nice. Exactly. <laughs> it's my uh, multi-million dollar home office in the background with my logo. Very nice. Yeah. He's flaunting his quad, uh, whatever it's called. Actually, I'm doing this on a Mac Pro that has... Um, like a crazy number of CPU cores, um, I don't know, 16 or something. How many cores do you have to have for it to work? Four. So, uh, Frank, you have a, what are you using, a Mac Pro, a MacBook Pro? Yeah. And it has four cores? In seven years. <laughs> nice. Right. Right. Thank you, thank you. All right, so uh, <laughs> so uh, I'm very grateful for uh, for Zoom. Uh, it's uh, been a lifeline for uh, a lot of people, and uh, so we're trying this out, and we'll expand it, and then we'll integrate it uh, eventually if we ever do another show uh, with uh, TriCaster. So that's our technical note for the show. Uh, Tina Chase Gilmore, our producer and director, is not visible but she is here right yep 
Her oh, name okay. is on the screen. Hi, Tina. Hello. Hello, all. So nice to Hola. see you. So you she could momentarily turn a video on and we'd all see her. Uh, uh, no, please don't do that. <laughs> wow. Thank no, I, I, I'm just trying to have a, a stable gallery shot uh, that's being recorded somewhere. In this case, not at all. Uh, all right, so at the risk of uh, violating my uh, cease and desist order, uh, what do we want to talk about? Uh, Let's not talk I have about a, the virus. Yeah, I, I have a, I have a, a an interesting uh, story that I just blogged about um, about, and it's tangential to the virus and how it's affected the motion picture business, and in turn um, affected the streaming business, and in turn helped companies like Zoom, especially Zoom, do as well as they're doing. Uh, it's, uh, uh, it's really, uh, you know, the, the motion picture business has been devastated and now many of those big companies are starting to release their movies early on the stream. Disney's doing it. Warner Brothers putting out, I think, two or three movies. They're completely changing the dynamic of the way films have been released and distributed. Uh, that's a great thing for the stream. I don't know what it's going to mean for the motion picture business on the other side of this, but... There's absolutely no doubt that the stream has picked up a huge amount of, uh, of viewers. And in so doing, uh, some companies here in the UK, and I even think in, uh, 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 in, in America, although I don't know for sure, have, uh, are sending out a signal that is somewhat degraded from what it normally might be because of what everyone thinks will be uh, too much uh, 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 will too much need of, of bandwidth. And the, the, if the bandwidth can't handle the full stream, they send out less of a full stream. So it seems to me that, that that's an interesting dynamic happening now as a result of this. Uh, now, do you know who is, who is doing the throttle? It, it, uh, well, it, it, Disney, uh, <laughs> Disney has already said that they would throttle their, their signal at, here in the UK at, on Disney Plus and same with Netflix. So I don't I don't know that the uh, um, that the actual like Orange or Three or any of those guys are doing it. You guys would probably know if if something was happening there. But actually, I had only heard that it was coming from the head end. YouTube uh, did it. They um, uh, globally they set the default to six forty by four eighty, um, and you can go in and change it back. Uh, but they they basically reduced their footprint uh, across everything. I haven't noticed any substantial uh, difference uh, in any of the streams that I watch, and and you know I I admit to having way too many of them. Uh, but you know it's funny this time three or four months ago uh, there was an awful lot of talk about whether or not. The, the, there was a, an appetite for all the different streaming services. And I think that that's completely changed now. I think there's a huge appetite for all of them. And, and a whole bunch of new ones have jumped in. Um, uh, NT Live, the service from the National Theater, which used to distribute theatrically, is now starting to distribute to home viewers by streams. 
and the Metropolitan Opera, likewise, uh, they had a theatrical distribution in, in, in the works, and they've opened it up uh, at least for a couple of weeks to free home streams, probably as a marketing ploy to get people to subscribe when the, when the freemium turns back to premium. Yeah, I think a lot of, uh, I'm reading anyway, because I haven't seen it here, although it's possible that the Albert Museum might do it, but a lot of the museums are, and art galleries and, uh, uh, so, you know, those kinds of uh, uh, places are offering up these virtual tours on the stream, and that's also uh, creating more of a demand. Uh, you know, I, and I imagine there's somewhat of a marketing ploy in that, in that when this is all over, people will then want to go see these things live and in person. And of course, there's other major ones coming out. So there's Quibi, Quick Bites, which is going to come out with a huge push. Uh, that's the uh, the Jeffrey Katzenberg uh, thing. Uh, and there's food. Seeing, we're already seeing a, a marketing blitz on that. There's a lot of ads for them on TV and online. They're, they're, ah. they're starting towards their launch. And Fubo. There's another one coming out. So there's there's just so much uh, living out there that people are going to be able to consume their content. And then, of course, uh, you know the 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 amount of of news consumption has increased hugely from from what I'm reading over there. Certainly, you you, you it's, it's not quite the same over here uh, because you know we have Freeview and 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 BBC and ITN and all those. They're on all the time uh, anyway. It's like you, you just you can't avoid it. But if you want to see American uh, content, you can see it online. And, I, and from what I understand, everyone's numbers, msnbc.com, cnn.com, fox.com, everybody's numbers are going up. You know, the, the, the interesting there, Frank, is the broader question is, what is it that we're doing now that's going to end up having a permanent impact? Um, uh, fast and how quickly will we go back to what we were doing before if at all because um, not not to uh, be uh, incorrect about this but there's a lot about what I'm doing that I'm enjoying um, I, uh, being at home and being able to connect to people who anticipate a digital connection is kind of amazing in a way um, um, I, 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 my three kids are at home, like probably um, a lot of people's, because colleges and schools are closed down. So I'm cooking a lot. I, I, I literally flour. I'm even making bread, um, uh, not because I need to, but it's it's fun. And you know, so my work life and my home life are both very transformed. Streaming, I guess, I was already deep in that anyway. Um, uh, but I'm finding that I don't want to watch the news because it's repetitive. Mm -hmm. So I'm watching the news maybe an hour a day uh, and then turning it off. Um, and, you know, basically not doing TV till the evenings and then binge watching things like Ozark season three. Excellent. You know, I, I asked a question on my Facebook page the other day about what people were uh, consuming on the stream, what kind of uh, where they were getting their news and uh, uh, and uh, what what they thought the the future would be and and some of the uh, the thinking a lot of people talked about group watching films uh, using something like Zoom 
and having a gallery of people and watching a movie together and then talking about it at the same time. So it'd be a different way to use the stream uh, and, 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 entertain, and be entertained. And the other thing is, a lot of it's gonna depend on the quality of the entertainment content that's coming through that, entertain, through that stream pipeline. Uh, but boy, I'll tell you that the, the, the comments that people are putting out there about things like The Mandalorian and Ozark, and I mean, there's just some excellent content out there. Uh, I mean, everyone seems to be talking about The Tiger King. I haven't seen that yet, but it seems to be something that a lot of people are talking about. And so, so I think that, you know, uh, I think there is a big transformative thing that's going to come out of this. A lot of people are going to have changed everything about their lifestyle. And the question is, how much of that lives beyond uh, coronavirus? Uh, you know, I guarantee you, people are going to probably wash their hands more after this is over. But what other things are they going to do? Are they going to stream more? Are they going to, are they going to be more isolated? I, I, I don't know. I've got a whole bunch of portfolio companies and it's amazing how different the reaction of a company is. Um, some companies, their DNA is very team-centric and they've thrived in, in, in this scenario. I've got one in particular, naming no names, where the CEO is very much hands-on and almost a control freak. Uh, he's not thriving. Um, <laughs> So, so it, 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 it's interesting how team dynamics and distributed work, even with great tools, um, it's hard for courses. I wonder if things like Zoom will end up proving that the team dynamic is more important and more stuff gets done. And in fact, people then find that this is such a good way to work that they continue to do this after this, uh, uh, this, this virus, whether it goes away or flattens out or whatever it does. Dennis, uh, can you comment on that? Well, um, I've written a few articles about some of this. I, I uh, made a comparison with uh, what happened in the dot-com boom-bust cycle. And uh, it seemed like right around uh, the boom or the bust, uh, Things like um, uh, well, streaming video conference calls became a real uh, a real positive factor. And if you look at the economics, I think at the time I researched it, there was about fifty billion dollars a year in uh, business travel that uh, uh, got got decimated. Uh, part of it because of the recession. Part of it also because um, in my work. Uh, when people wanted to brief me, they used to get on an airplane in San Francisco and fly to Boston and, uh, and have a one-hour meeting with me. It was tremendously expensive. And you multiply that by all of the startups all over the country, especially in Silicon Valley, and you were burning a lot of uh, venture capital. Now, what does that have to do with today? Well, I think uh, when you think about today, uh, one of the questions you have to ask is, where Frank makes a good point about productivity improving and, and team building, uh, but I think there's there's on the distaff side, uh, there's going to be a place where um, all of this work through the stream is going to save a ton more money. Maybe it's in in office space. I don't know. Um, that's that's what I've been thinking about. I think about the uh, interesting point you make about the airplane 
travel. Uh, I think I think it's been reported almost all over the world that the amount of pollution in the air has decreased considerably. Uh, I wonder, certainly not with those in our the American administration, but I wonder if around the world you add up all of these positives, and it becomes a bigger thing. So everything from saving money for your company to less pollution in the air to uh, uh, you know time better spent to team building all of those things uh, they say portend some different kind of future i think you do but i think that you know there, there are a couple of things on the other side because there are there are businesses which are now shuttered that depend on attendance uh, the sports industry the uh, theatrical theater industry nightclubs all of those things are going to be trying to come back. Bars and restaurants, uh, they're going to exert some pressure to, on, on travel and on, on people meeting together. So there's bound to be some pent up demand for, for socializing. Uh, I just don't think it's going to rise to the level that it was before the virus. Well, that's absolutely right, but that's mostly local. I mean, that, there's a difference between the travel to go to see a local sports team or to go out to dinner than, than it is getting on an airplane to go to have an, uh, a meeting on the other side of the continent. But, but look, at the, look at the whole uh, trade show and conferencing mm -hmm. industry and the major music festivals, major art festivals. I mean, people, people go to Coachella, people going to uh, Comic-Con, people going to uh, CES, uh, people traveling internationally to conferences. All of that has been upended and I don't know how much of it will come back. Well, that's, that's an excellent point. Uh, you, maybe you recall this, but uh, 20 or 25 years ago, conferences weren't put on so much by sponsoring uh, vendors, but by independent organizations. So, so I remember, you know, I, I went, for example, Database World back in the 80s was, was a, a big trade show. And all dozen or so database companies had booths there, but none of them uh, ran the show. Uh, over the last period of time, say 20, 25 years, companies like Salesforce and Oracle and SAP have uh, put out trade shows that are so dominant that only they and their, their ecosystem partners uh, show anything there. Uh, the next logical step in, in that progression might be doing away with the physical presence of the show. Because there's nothing that one vendor can't do um, uh, across the stream. That they that they're doing in uh, in a, in a, a major conference center center like uh, the Moscone Center, other than getting a bunch of uh, press and analysts drunk. Yeah, but well, there's the question of serendipitous communication, the people people stumbling upon things, um, that got, that goes away. Uh, serendipitous meetings, uh, you know, anytime anytime you attend a major conference, you run into people and you have exchanges that neither one of you anticipated, many of which lead to something subsequently. And that gets filtered out when you, even with broadband, uh, the bandwidth of what you can get through a camera and screen, a camera and a, a microphone is much less than what you get uh, wandering around and bumping into folks. Yeah, but is, yeah, that, a, is that a permanent <coughs> change or, or a, a temporary change? It seems like serendipity by, by its nature finds a way to, to reinvent itself. I, I've got a friend that, uh, that just took over um, uh, the uh, uh, National Lampoon. Uh, 
uh, which has been <laughs> it, which has been, uh, as you know, uh, up until recently, not sort of not on the tip of everyone's tongue and kind of floundering. And he has started doing National Lampoon stuff on a National Lampoon stream uh, and only marketing it. I, I, it feels like he's marketing it only on social media. Uh, and he's starting to get some real traction on that. And, uh, you know, I'm, you're also starting to see trade shows uh, do things online in the stream. Uh, and look, even here on, on Zoom, you can bring in, what, 40 people at any given time? Uh, I saw someone do a uh, 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 do something that it looked like there was more than 100 people at one time on it. Yeah, go ahead. I was just going to say, my wife is a teacher, and her school system, or her, yeah, her, I guess her school system had a Zoom conference with 800 people on it last week. So, I mean, I, I'm actually talking to a, a university about how they might be able to do a, a, a commencement uh, using Zoom. So, they're, they're, people are thinking differently. Yeah. Uh, if, if for no other reason and if for nothing else uh it's 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 this time that we're spending alone and in our homes and by ourselves seems to be a very creative time keith zoom also has a feature for those very large meetings there's a feature called breakout rooms so any participants can opt at any given moment to go to a breakout room just for themselves so you kind of get corridor networking replication uh, through a digital feature. There's also a company in, um, that's become quite well known, it's called Hopin, H-O-P-I-N, I think. I think that's the right name. They're based out of Manchester, England. They are doing digital events at massive scale, um, including exhi ex exhibit exhibitors, uh, the ability to stream videos. I mean, every everything you would get at a normal event that they've replicated the digital version of it. So there's, you know, there, there's a lot of things happening that are gonna end up being permanent because it's massive, aside from the economic stuff that um, um, was mentioned, it's just better, mostly. <laughs> yeah. So what does that mean? Uh, it's better. It saves money. It's cleaner for the environment. Uh, uh, look at what we're doing. Just next time I'll get a light so my image will look as good as Keith's. Uh, and, and well, I might not look as good as Keith, but I'll have a nice shot. And I, it, you know, it just, it feels to me like uh, this is like this great intersection of, of technology and real life. And yeah, and serendipity. It's funny watching Meet the Press this morning. Chuck uh, did an interview with the, the woman who's the medical person who's always on Trump's conference calls. And Chuck was at home in his home office. He had a background like mine, so they'd obviously lit him up. And he apologized at the outset of the interview for the satellite delay. <laughs> yes, what satellite would that be? <laughs> It made me realize how behind the time, I mean, that's NBC. We, yeah. we have better tech here than NBC had on Meet the Press this morning. 
and, and you know I, funny th they're using um a lot of those networks i noticed are using webex cisco so uh what i'm not sure what what is because i haven't used that in, uh, in a long time well i wonder why would that be a chosen uh a chosen technology uh over this uh unless maybe they have some financial arrangement with them I, it's just that they i mean various companies use various of these uh, technologies. WebEx is a sort of an older guard uh, uh, conferencing software, which has been uh, updated into the uh, video space. Uh, and it, you know, basically the features are, are somewhat comparable uh, to Zoom, but uh, you know, they, uh, obviously the company in this case uh, is standardized on something. Yeah, a lot of other companies are standardized on, uh, uh, Google, what used to be called Hangouts and is now called Meet, and uh, and then Microsoft is uh, slowly starting to uh, enter with uh, their Teams software, which is a messaging service that they're adding video to. So, uh, you know, we'll see a convergence around the so-called big players, and then Apple, of course, has got the lead. Uh, overall, but not in uh, meeting technology with uh, FaceTime, which of course only works on their system. So that's that's I kind. Of I think in some of these networks, I don't know this, but my speculation is that a lot of it is ad hoc, and they uh, they are improvising. It came on suddenly, and they really haven't done due diligence to pick the best system. They just said we got to get something on the air tonight, and some of them are turning to whatever their engineering team happens to know about. I think, it's going to, I think it's going to settle out over time. And the key, the key there is um, legacy. You know, the, uh, NBC in New York obviously has got legacy in tech, hence the satellites. They know how to do that, and they can do it right away. Uh, they drive a big truck outside Chuck's house. Right. On top, and they know how to do it. Probably the unions have a, have a say in New York, which is, you know, this is what, trained on and this is how we do it right so that's all the conditions are there for a leapfrog technology um i mean what steve's been pioneering with the tricaster for more than a decade now well i wouldn't say that i've been pioneering it i think uh leo laporte started uh, by pioneering it and uh jason calacanis also does uh, a lot of that. I don't know what he's using now, but he started with uh, TriCaster as well. So, I mean, there were a group of us that did this. Uh, I think moving forward, uh, we're going to, I know what Tina and I are talking about is integrating this experience as part of the TriCaster experience. So, uh, you know, I think we'll see, uh, you know, the emergence of I mean, there's there's a sort of a uber topic here that uh, you guys have been touching on that uh, I think is uh, I'd frame it just slightly differently, which is you know the question of what's going to happen next. This is next. We're in it. We're already doing it, and uh, so I don't see this going away. If anything, I think it becomes as uh, technology innovation occurs in this space it's just going to become more omnipresent i think that uh the point uh that you made there keith uh, about the unions i think that we're going to see very quickly the unions uh trying to 
find their place in the use of this technology so that it doesn't interfere with the contracts that they already have and in fact uh, augments those contracts and they will have ownership at least on the major networks for because it's funny I actually see that the you know sales on the major networks except for these like giant events like the Olympics and and uh, things that are going away that are costing them billions of dollars but sales and advertising on the major networks as the as the uh, viewership starts to increase again because you're really starting to see real numbers on them on uh, the ABC, NBC, CBS, and Fox, like you haven't seen in years, um, that that's going to open up a lot of doors uh, for negotiations with the unions for some kind of involvement and or ownership of these technologies. Well, on the news shows, uh, I haven't seen any information about uh, what the unions are doing, because now they're bringing in all of the experts that used to come into the studio are now coming in by some kind of video conferencing software from their own basement. Yeah. So yeah, I don't what, see how. What, what is the union playing? I I, I, don't, I, I, don't I think the, the unions. I don't see how the unions compete, uh, or the networks compete with what's going on uh, with Zoom, for example. Zoom is, in my mind, it's the next Netflix. It's it's going to you know create an economic model that comes out of this, which is going to be. Uh, as Netflix has, allow more production at a lower cost uh, than uh, the, how the networks are going to be able to compete with this. So I think yeah. the networks are going to have to uh, give in to this uh, and be reframed by it. Now, I think that they, what the unions won't try to take ownership of the technology as much as they'll try and use the technology as a reason for saving other jobs that might not be there. So you'd send a crew to a location uh, and a truck. So now you've got, you know, e even if they're not in Chuck Todd's house, somebody had to go in there and set up that, those lights and that, that lockdown camera. Cause I've seen some of those shots uh, where those, where the talent on those kinds of shows actually have what almost looks like a lit studio with a, with a big studio camera or an ikigami, not 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 a uh, uh, not an SLR um, or a DSLR, uh, but a real television camera in in their living room. Uh, so that that took people to do it, and then a truck outside that has people operating it, and so on. So once they go to some kind of a system like this, they will they will want to protect the jobs. I'm just speculating here. They will want to protect those jobs. Uh, that are being affected by the technology. That happens all the time uh, when a new technology comes in. Over years, uh, things change, but it's almost like immediately, the networks will make every effort to say, we don't need you anymore because of this. The unions will say, yeah, but we own that because uh, that's you know wires and stuff. And mm -hmm. that'll happen and it'll take a while for that to change, I think. So the, the key to me is the studio centricity goes away. So, so today on Meet the Press, clearly there was still a studio and uh, at least one of the guests was in the studio and there was probably a team with a switching desk sat behind a, a window, you know, uh, managing the whole thing because they had very slick changes between pre-planned shots and so on. But it feels to me that that, that studio centricity gives a massive amount of freedom to a creator. So that the fact that Tina, who isn't in, in view here, 
is sat switching and recording this call. She could be anywhere in the world doing that uh, and it would still work. So I think the first thing that goes away is studio centricity. And, and obviously that may or may not lead to less jobs over a long or short period of time based on power. But the longer that takes, the more likely the next version of Cheddar and the Young Turks will, and Vice will rise up to, to dominate um, new brands, if you like. And I'm not sure about that. Uh, Dennis, what do you think? I think what you're talking about is commoditization of television or of video or whatever you want to call it. If you look at, at the historical trend, when, when commoditization occurs, uh, two things happen. One, unions dig in and get entrenched and they make change relatively difficult for the industries that they work in. If you look at the auto industry, for example, or, or the steel industry, uh, powerful unions, uh, they're still around, but uh, they've, they've, uh, the industries that they work in have been hollowed out by uh, more nimble, uh, less union-oriented uh, foreign competition, whether you're talking about I mean, take a, take a look at the car industry. 30 years ago, General Motors had about 44% uh, of the market in the United States, plus Ford and Chrysler. Uh, today, uh, the big three in, in, in Detroit have about 42% of the market in total. And the rest of the market is owned by um, uh, foreign competition that's building uh, product on, on these shores. Uh, doing it non-union. I think, I think what we're looking at is the beginnings of, of the commodity, further commoditization of, of, of video, TV, communications, wherever you want to, whatever you want to call it. And I think that's going to result in uh, fewer union jobs, not more. But at the same time, I expect that we'll see uh, more union jobs cropping up in some of the things that are being exposed right now uh, that have to do more with sustainability, less air travel, for example, um, cropping up different uh, different needs for, for talented people to be able to do things locally, uh, but probably not directly uh, in, involved in what we're doing. Frank? I think that's right. I think that, that, I don't think the unions are gonna go away. I think that they do often in, impede uh, the progress. Um, but they find other ways and to, to make sure that they're still a part of, uh, of the industry. Uh, you know, the Writers Guild, for example, uh, in, in, I remember I was negotiating a Writers Guild contract when I was on the, the non-Writers Guild side. And, uh, and the, the whole idea of writing for the dot-coms became a thing uh, because for a while, the Writers Guild did not write for the dot-coms, and eventually they got to be the writers for the dot-coms. Um, so I think they'll find other things inside the industry to make sure that they can continue to be relevant uh, and that their members can continue to uh, reap the benefits of having uh, some sort of, uh, of understanding of what their life is. And this is a great thing about a union. If you have an understanding of what your life is going to be, you know what your what your schedule is or you you know how much you're going to make because you did some overtime or you went into golden time or whatever it is you uh, it so I, I i think on the one hand um that it, it it will i think primarily they will find a way 
to continue to con be relevant in, in the industry. By the way, I noticed uh, one of the uh, Sunday morning shows this morning, one of the anchors said, and it, I thought he was on his set, said that he was in his house and it looked like he was on his set. So I don't know if it was they're a green all, They're all doing this virtual background stuff. Uh, if so, you watch uh, MSNBC, they're all uh, at home. The, the studio, in quotes, is... Uh, a shot with a green screen, probably. Yeah, I mean, yeah. on uh, NBC Nightly News for the last 10 years, uh, you see in the background of one of the angles, you see the newsroom. That's, That's the same shot. <laughs> but it, no, but the point is, is it's actually a loop, number yeah. one. It's long enough that you don't pay attention to the fact that it's repeating. But it's, uh, it's virtually uh, you know, rendered in. And yeah. the, the only thing that's, uh, I think, you know, has large numbers of people relative is the control room. Which yeah. Is, you know, uh, Keith's or somebody's reference to Tina. This is the model. We're in the new uh, world. And this will not uh, be replaced. Yeah by any kind of uh, brute force economic uh, uh, leverage. I mean, the, the networks don't have, they have to deal with another issue, which I've, has been driving me you know, batshit crazy, uh, which is they have to deal with their business model and their credibility as a news organization, which I think is completely under attack. Uh, by their bad acting, uh, you know. I, I switch. Let's see what's on in the background right now. It's it's not MSNBC, which I used to watch religiously. It's CNN, which I used to not watch religiously. Yeah, why is that? Because uh, the NBC uh, model of uh, anchors with a specific uh, political bent. Anti Fox. Well, more just, you know, when there, remember when there was a, a presidential campaign, that was, how long ago was that? I said about 18 years in dog years, I think. Yeah, <laughs> it feels like it. Uh, you know, that was their business model, was, you know, providing a wrapper. And their expertise. Oh, of course, but they, you know, they fired... Uh, one of the most expert uh, of the of that group, uh, Chris Matthews, or he fired himself. Whatever it is that that happened, uh, you, you're left with a, a a bunch of anchors who are constantly returning to whatever the anti-Trump uh, attitude is in their questions and in their guests. And I I find the most compelling in information that I can get from mainstream media is, you know, carrying the press conferences by Cuomo and, and uh, you know, our current president. Well, that's a good question. Um, w w let's take a vote. Should the president's press conferences be broadcast live? Yes. Yes. That, that was a yes, I Keith. That, I prefer they weren't, but I... Um... Not, they're not very informative, but they're, they're, they're entertaining. Um, and you get, you get to take the temperature of his mood, which obviously is a major variable in what happens. So... Um, 
but I, I don't really care about his mood. Uh, I think one of the benefits, if you want to call it that, of this crisis is, is that what Trump thinks about this uh, becomes largely irrelevant. I, I understand that there are, you know, he's appealing to uh, a third of the country and all of the uh, political dynamics, but the reality is, is that the politics are going to resolve themselves on November, whatever it is. And that in the meantime, trying to uh, navigate uh, what's going on in terms of he's up or he's down or any of that is irrelevant. What really is relevant is uh, how much uh, distancing are we going to be able to provide to be able to bend the curve so that we can return to whatever the new normal is, which we don't know what that is yet. Uh, Dennis, you were going to say. I'm not sure that's the point, though. I mean, uh, by definition, when the president speaks, he's, ma he's making news. This guy has a, a propensity to make a fool of himself and to look, look like a really uh, petty, small actor, whatever you want to call him. But that in itself is news. It's news. It's news to discover that this guy, this guy, is really walking around in his BVDs. And but that news is news implies it's new, and this is not a new insight. Well, I don't get I'm on a daily basis. I don't get much. I don't get much value out of, uh, you know, that he's the idiot in charge. I mean, okay, what else is new? Well, I'm sorry, but his pronouncements have the ability to kill us. That's my point. I agree with, see, I would say, look, <clears throat> there was a time when all of this stuff was shot on film. And then the film came back to the, into the house and the producers and the editors screened it and picked out the things that were salient and important. And that's what people saw. Uh, I'm, I'm not hearkening, I'm not saying we should hearken back to that. I actually don't think they should be live for, but that, and that's a way to, to make it so that not being live works. But I also think there's an, another, another interesting dynamic going on here. And that is by recording them and playing them back, that actually might help the president uh, in, a, in a way that allows that all of his stupid, death-defying, ridiculous comments are edited well, out. Because they won't be so, edited in. Or edited. Well, that, I, I, well that's, I mean, that's, that's what makes this the, the, it all the, depends the, on the editor conversation. Is. But you know, even, even in those days, when you, when you just had half hour nightly news, and, and that wasn't a half hour of time because you had commercials, uh, you still covered press conferences live. Uh, even in Kennedy's day, if he, if he gave a live press conference, it was covered live. Uh, Eisenhower's press conferences were covered live. Uh, what we're not used to is a press conference every day, twice a day. Yeah. I, I just think this is a, uh, an interesting topic of discussion, and I actually brought it up. Uh, as in, so every morning I, I add, a, like I said, like I mentioned, every day I add a question to my Facebook page and just sort of read the tone of all the people that follow me. Uh, and that one, one, that one came up actually 50-50. Half of the people that voted to keep it live, I know I'm no longer friends with, but that's another story. Well, the problem is that the audience is, is so completely divided. And also, opinions are pretty much baked and unmovable. 
So, uh, as Steve said, so what's new? There is no new. Yeah. I mean, what, yeah. what, you, what you see is what you saw last week and what you saw last year. And um, it, it's just a repetition of the pattern. It's like, you know, going back to see Starry Night in, uh, in the Museum of Modern Art. It's the same every time you go there. You don't expect it to be different. But, you know, the, the interesting thing is um, what you rely on. So... I, I'm like Steve, I can't watch MSNBC for more than half an hour anymore. Even that's too much. Um, but this morning I was watching my Twitter stream as Meet the Press was on, and there was um, um, a, a, a virologist who did this long thread about what a virus is and why it manifests the behavior it does. And it was fantastic. Uh, and he was just an individual. So it feels to me that going back to the previous conversation, Zoom, newsletters, um, Twitter, Twitter streams that have, you know, one, two, three, four, four, five, six, seven from people who clearly know what they're talking about. There's some fantastic sources of, of knowledge that are way more powerful than the fake news fear. That well, I, think, I, I agree with you, but I think it's a, a format issue, uh, not a mainstream versus uh, social uh, issue. For example, uh, on CNN town hall several nights ago, uh, both Fauci and much more uh, significantly, I thought, uh, Bill Gates uh, spoke. Bill Gates at length. It's about half an hour. Uh, you know, there, we're going to be putting out a newsletter, uh, you know, occasionally, and uh, the link to the CNN thing is uh, will be in it. But uh, Gates uh, was remarkable in his comprehensive understanding of what actually has to be done. It's kind of like having Dr. Burst, who was the woman that you referred to earlier, um, uh, Anthony Fauci, uh, and you know some of the uh, analysts on CNN, for example, uh, Gupta, I think it is. Uh, yeah. Mm -hmm. who's really smart yeah. uh, and you know people like that you you start to see how the networks are reshaping their credibility uh, around this issue and i think cnn uh, uh i mean msnbc rachel maddow has actually uh gone from being a, a really a, a sort of floundering actor to being uh somebody who is uh trying to bend uh, her business model or the company's business model to uh, the reality of who who is consuming this information. So you know, I, I think I, I think it's uh, it's more nuanced than big actor versus little actor. So when you watch a uh, a news conference on the stream, and you chosen, for example, to watch it on Fox which I have done just because I'm interested in seeing the Fox comments, which, which roll along the bottom of the screen uh, as the news conference goes on. And then to switch over to ABC News, for example, and see the comments, which are diametrically opposed, adds this great new dimension to, to the streaming uh, environment uh, because you're getting individuals' opinions um, unfiltered which by the way, I find really interesting here on Zoom, 
to click the chat button and have the chat streaming directly on the right-hand side of our gallery of imagery right now. So as I just responded to uh, a Dennis comment uh, on there. So I saw it come up at the bottom and it just said chat. I clicked on it. Now all of a sudden, it's like having the chat room on the same screen without having to have two screens open. Uh, I, I think what, that's- what, what Dennis said, by the way, uh, that you're referring to, uh, and that you say exactly to, I, I disagree with, which is, he says, most of the viewing happens during repetition, not the actual conference anyhow. So televising the press conference is becoming less important. Uh, I, I, I don't I think, think it's the, the matter of the viewing. Is, the, it's I not the, the viewing. conference is the most important uh, information that we are uh, getting uh, from Washington. Uh, I, secondarily, I think uh, what Cuomo is doing, although it doesn't have the same uh, uh, global importance. Well, I think it does, unfortunately, because uh, New York is the hotspot mm. of hotspots. But the um, uh, just to your reference about uh, uh, going to Fox, I've actually gone to Fox for a more practical reason, which is. I think the press conference is the most important broadcast because of the combination of, uh, it, you know, it'd be fine by me if Trump was just auto-muted uh, during those conferences. The problem is, is that he sp takes up too much of the time and then he passes the buck to, uh, uh, to Pence uh, and then they run out the clock and get off before we get to get any real information. But, but you're, you're talking I've actually about switched. I've actually switched uh, twice now to Fox because they continue to carry the press conference. But that's on TV, right? You're talking about watching it on TV where the other networks have made a decision not to show it and Fox is the only one that no, is showing it. No, I'm talking about how uh, MSNBC and then CNN or MSNBC watches what CNN, when they go to uh, analysts or to a break, then they go too. They're trying to get back to their business model. They're not trying yeah. to serve what is paramount about this, which is, to Dennis's point, uh, how are these guys going to try, and I'll use the word try, to kill us? But you know, that if, you, if you, Steve, I'm gonna share my screen a second, just to illustrate a point. If you go um, to the sources and I'm go to California, this tells us the number of ICU beds that are short based on uh, of every state based on real data. If I and it shows us that it's going to be the end of June before we're through this, and it gives us a lot of stats. Now, if I go to New York. You know, and this isn't relying on TV at all or, or on the president. If you go to New York, you get the same numbers and you find out that they're 35,000 beds short, that their peak is happening much faster. They're going to be through it by sometime in May. Um, uh, why? Because they didn't isolate as quickly as California, but they're 7,000 beds short and they you know, need a massive number of, of ventilators. This, this information, which I'll stop sharing now, is not dependent on a central source anymore. 
And that to me is, is massively powerful if you can yeah. right between good stuff and bad stuff. Have you, there's, have you seen the one that uh, there's a young kid who, uh, who updates like all day long, all of the numbers all the time for the entire world. Have you seen that one? That's, yes, that's he's, pretty he's, he's my neighbor. He's a, he was a 17 year old uh, Seattle kid. Um, it's, it's mainly, uh, it's mainly automated. He, he doesn't sit yeah. there. Yeah. He doesn't sit there I, doing it. Oh, I think that for the, for a while he was working on the automation of it, but yes, I guess. But yeah, he's, I mean, he's constantly working on improving the code and, uh, yeah. and building features. Uh, but his job is not to input numbers. It's yeah, you know, I didn't I didn't mean to imply that, but it's very good. So man, that and the one that Keith just showed us, I think, are very valuable tools. Uh, and you know, here we are sitting talking about this, and Keith just showed us. I mean, I've seen that slider thing to show how to flatten the curve on a couple of things, but I've never seen one with the list of all the different states that you could go and click on it. And uh, so, I mean, that's a valuable tool that we learned about here on this Zoom call on the Gilmore Gang, bada boom. I wonder what would happen if you went on that, and I'm not asking you to do it because uh, I prefer you didn't do it, Keith. Um, uh, I'm wondering what, if you click on Mississippi, what you see. Well, he can do it off, uh, off screen and tell us. Okay. Look, uh, your space bar. Your lips not, move. not apparently. Yeah. Uh, Look your space bar. I think he went to it, and then all of a sudden, it, the voice went away. Yeah, proving my point. There you go. Mississippi um, is 24 days away from peak resource use. The curve is fairly flat. Hmm. Um, it has plenty of beds and plenty of ICU, and it only needs 176 ventilators. So Mississippi is, currently speaking, in a very good shape. So uh, how that was covered, how Mississippi has been covered on at least MSNBC and maybe CNN as well, uh, is basically uh, attacking the governor uh, for uh, uh, you know, basically refusing to recognize the problem. That's the tone of the attack. Uh, and I don't hear any relationship between that uh, messaging and or so-called information, and uh, and what you just reported. Uh, but no doubt, that's one of the places that uh, Trump is talking about easing the restrictions because of that kind of reporting. The reason it's in good shape, by the way, is they closed schools on March the 18th and non-essential services on March the 19th. They have not implemented stay-at-home, which is probably what everyone's going on about. Michigan, Michigan closed their schools very early, and they're having a big problem. Yeah, Michigan, Michigan is quite like New York shaped. They're, they've got ten thousand shortage of beds, two and a half thousand shortage of ICUs, and two thousand shortage of ventilators, and their peak resource use is going to be uh, ten days from now. Pretty big so international let airports. Out, let me throw out another uh, uh, theory, which is that uh, this uh, we've seen uh, social media under attack for months, if not years, uh, you know, Russia, etc. Uh, and I, I think right now, social media, although it can be, uh, you know, if 
you zoom in, it gets very hysterical very quickly. Uh, it's still, I think, uh, rebounding in terms of its Im importance. Well, I, I think, yeah. I, I agree. I, I personally find Twitter invaluable. We were talking earlier about serendipitous hallway conversations. I think Twitter is the place where that happens. Uh, yeah. I, uh, because something from someone that I don't follow uh, will be promoted to me based on how other people react to it. So if people I do follow like it, uh, I'll see it. Uh, so it, it has a, a, a pretty sophisticated algorithm for uh, promoting and exposing information that I might not otherwise see based on the fact that people whose opinions I value, value that information. Dennis, what do you think? Uh, do, you, do you agree with the thesis that social media is on the rebound or do you consider it to be uh, that we're in an interim phase which will, the, the bad actors will step in and, uh, and ruin it again? Um, a little of both, but probably neither. I think what we're seeing is that uh, social media is proving itself to be a tool. Um, it is neither uh, always the tool, that, the, the hammer that you use to drive a nail, and it's not the murder weapon that you hit somebody over the head with. Um, I think one possible outcome from this is, is that we might, we might get to a point where we say, gee, we'd like the social media that, that does this, as opposed to the social media that does that. And that might be the first step towards uh, some form of regulation. I've noticed, uh, and I'm sure everyone has, that that ever since there's been this uh, the the stay-at-home rules, that the amount of people that uh, I would normally and I'm not not that the numbers of my contacts have risen, but the number of contacts that I have every day have, uh, which I, I I guess says that more people are being uh, uh, not driven to it, but more likely to use it because they have more hours in the day to do things at home or because they want to find out what's going on a different way. Uh, but I, I agree with you also, Dennis. I, I don't think that it's going to ultimately be a horrible thing. I think that somehow will people, people or the algorithm or the, or the company will find a way to say, this is the good stuff, let's isolate that. And, and let's let these people who want that stuff interact with it that way. Yeah, because the, 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 the products are certainly showing their value. And, you know, everybody in the market wants value in some way. So the, 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 question, the question is, how do, we, how do we make sure that we get value without getting all the sludge that, that could go with it? Keith? Yes. <laughs> well, I... I, I... I suspect that you're not paying attention. That's why I asked you. No, I, I was paying attention, but I, it, I didn't, it didn't trigger a thought. Oh, how about now? <laughs> you know, but I, I, have, I have many thoughts, but they're tangential to the conversation, so I don't want to. Yeah, but I'd like to hear one, one of them. Well, so I, I think what we're witnessing can be summed up in a single trend. And that single trend is going to be profound, which is decentralization 
and an increasing ability of endpoints, which we are one, um, uh, being able to convey thought and opinion and facts to other endpoints. And, and so we're, we're basically experiencing what the internet was designed for, which is the empowering of every node, endpoint, edge, uh, to be a source of knowledge uh, or, or opinion for that matter. And uh, as, that, as that happens, it's amazing to me how good Trump is at undermining it by trying to maintain a centralized narrative that's under his control using all the tools that we've built, like Twitter. Uh, and, and so it seems to me like the big moment is whether the center holds against the edge. Uh, that wasn't much of a tangent, Keith. That actually <laughs> I suspected as much. But uh, Frank, uh, since you jumped in there, uh, do you agree? Uh, with this decentralized versus uh, uh, centralized sort of struggle? Or is there something else that's at play here? I'm not sure that I agree with it as much as I hope that, it, that that's what it ends up becoming. Uh, that's it. Most of what's going on is invisible to us because of the nature of the filtering algorithms. So if you go back to the old days of three network television networks, everything that they did was visible. And it was, it was only one screen stream. The only place it diverged was when you cut to the local stations. So you had one big centralized network and you had some locality in each place. Um, nothing was invisible. Today, most of everything that's going on in social media is completely invisible, and the tweaking of the algorithms is completely invisible. So we don't really know what we're talking about. We only know what we see. And uh, from what I see, it's getting a little better, but I have no idea what's really happening. Well, I mean, you know. There's something deeper going on. Say again. I think there's something deeper going on. I think. Uh, Social media is really, really important, and it, it helps us uh, maintain contact with the zeitgeist. But um, what I'm what I'm seeing, not just with uh, Corona, but with probably the last 15, 20 years, is uh, a leadership vacuum that's that's not getting any better. That uh, is causing small problems to become exacerbated and become big problems. We had a we had a leadership vacuum with uh, the coronavirus, with Trump calling it the, the Wuhan virus. It's a Chinese hoax. It's not to be taken seriously. We lost two months of preparation time uh, for that. But you can you can go further back and look at what we've not done uh, with climate change, uh, because people people are in some cases using social media as as a way to to propagate false information. And, and there are no, no leaders standing up and saying, no, this is something we have to do. Um, from the research I've done, uh, climate change isn't a hard thing to fix. It, it will be expensive, but it's something we can afford. Uh, this uh, co coronavirus problem isn't a hard problem. 
uh, to fix. I think we're not even looking at all of the potential uh, disruptive solutions that are out there, and they don't they don't include hydroxychloroquine, um, but they, they include other things that are that are far more reasonable to do. And it keeps coming back to a paucity of leadership. And until we get that fixed, all the technology that we have is going to be a band-aid. It's not going to it's not going to help propel us into a new age. Keith. I agree with, uh, I agree with, uh, the, you know, when you get to a certain age, you've seen many new waves be um, slowed down by legacy, um, um, not just legacy systems, but um, the inability to break from legacy. And usually a lot of self-interest by organizations that are part of that legacy to slow it down. But, you know, and I did, I did the first ISP in Europe, EasyNet. British Telecom, interesting enough, was both a friend and an enemy. It was a friend in that it sold us bandwidth. And it was an enemy in that um, it didn't want the internet to replace the telephone system. And, and, and so I think in every wave of transformation, um, vested interest uh, clings on to the past, both for reasons we've discussed previously um, that are perfectly reasonable reasons. Um, and what usually happens then is new organizations emerge that leapfrog. And I think that's what we'll see. I think Zoom is probably one of those, um, uh, but there'll be others. And, um, and leapfrogging, it's in, it's, in, it's in the nature of human society and especially capitalist society where profits and costs and um, uh, legacy uh, is difficult to escape from, um, that the source of innovation tends to be new, new external to the legacy. And, and, and I think that's what we'll see and it, it, it's just normal. Well, Keith, to your point, I, I agree with all of that. Um, but th there are some pretty strong actors in, in the theater today that are exerting huge uh, uh, backdraft and making, making disruptive change uh, very difficult to do. There was an article in today's Times or Washington Post, I don't remember which one, uh, about a, a government program to build a $3,000 ventilator that, that was funded by the U.S. government in, I think, 2010. Did you see that article? I did, and they, they basically acquired a small startup to stop it building a cheaper one. That's right. The, the startup got the contract. Covidian bought them and, and shut it down. Covidian was bought by Medtronics. And uh, we're, we're starting all over again. Well, then, There's a great uh, film called uh, The Man in the White Suit. Uh, anybody seen it? Raise your hand. Oh yeah, try and tr the suit that never got dirty. That's right. Uh, it was indestructible, essentially. Yeah. Uh, and uh, you know, basically, the whole film is about everybody trying to stop uh, this from happening. The so, water engine. The same water story. Engine. Yes. But the, the nice thing is, there's always a guy. You know, it's greed and fear. The greedy guys um, uh, and the fearful guys. Uh, are on both sides. So you've got legacy, and the, the, the way that fear manifests itself is you try to kill anything that's better than you. 
are cheaper than you or faster than you. Um, and the greed side is you quit your job and you join the other guys. Uh, and, and it's kind of, a, it goes on and on and on. The, so it, it feels to me as if greed drives innovation and greed also drives trying to kill innovation. And it really, so it, so I draw, I, I think it's interesting that, uh, that Trump has used uh, Twitter, uh, uh, a relatively new technology, to push forward his agenda of trying to bring back the steel industry and bring back the coal industry and uh, and 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 you know be a, an anti-climate uh, change uh, guy, but he's using this new technology to get that message out there. This interesting irony in that. Yeah. But the goal is uh, re-election. That's all he really cares about. And he's using the tool to, to work. I mean, I, I, I admit that I, I find myself probably at least three times a day going to real Donald Trump just to read the, the comments. I, I just do it. And, uh, and it's, the, his, his people are passionate. Whether and but I'll also find myself going and looking at who it is that is saying that to make sure that they actually have more than three followers and that they aren't a Russian bot or whatever. Uh, but the ones that I find are the most passionate seem to be uh, the most uh, legitimate. Well, legitimate human maybe, but the legitimate I'm not sure. No, I meant legitimate human beings as opposed yeah. to, you know. Bots, I get it. Bots, yeah. No, and, uh, yeah, I mean, they are not all paid Russian trolls and they're not all bots. Yeah. There really is, there really is a cult. On the new technology. Yes. So uh, I think... I would normally at this time uh, ask for closing thoughts, but I think we've been seeing this in real time. Yeah, agreed. Uh, all right. Well, listen. Uh, uh, what is this? Uh, By the way, this sounds great, and and the, the, the and it looks really good, and uh, I, and I haven't experienced any of the little z digital. I don't know if it's because this takes less bandwidth than the use of Skype or whatever. But this this technology feels and sounds and 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 just seems uh, better. So our producer director uh, uh, informs me that I need to remind people to keep washing your hands, uh, but more importantly, stop touching your face, which I find almost impossible. Uh, and that's that's one of the best reasons to wear a mask. Uh, yeah. Yeah, well, yeah, not to stop transmission, but just to keep your hand off your face. Um, good point. Uh, fear of death is a, another good one. I know, uh, but that's, you know, intermittent. It's transient. Uh, not in my death. case. <laughs> hey, look at our age. Come on. <laughs> uh, the, the passage to the afterlife is... <laughs> so, uh, uh, I want to say... Uh, wish my brother dan gilmore happy birthday oh happy birthday dan i'd like to wish my dad uh who's been gone for a long time happy birthday when was that which one was that today, today. oh yeah. and my happy birthday brothers tomorrow
tomorrow and uh, Tina's mother is in the in the middle, right? Yeah. Oh, I always get this right. Uh, I want to thank uh, everybody who uh, uh, shows up to to this because uh, it's uh, helped me uh, at least pass the time for a couple of hours. Aha! <laughs> uh -huh. Whatever the hell is going on behind me, a, a blank white screen is not a comforting. Uh, CNN seems to be what off the air. No, it's it's got um, text that comes up, but you can't see it somehow. Oh, it's their new commercial. It's very good. It's, it's by the way, screen, but uh, somehow you can't see the text coming up. And uh, I'd like to thank in uh, in random order, uh, Keith Tier. Thank you, sir. Welcome, uh, Steve Gilmore. Nice job. Uh, <laughs> let's see, uh, Dennis Pombriant. Thank you, sir. Thank you. And Frank Radis. Thank you. And uh, last but certainly not least, uh, Michael Markman. And thank you. Uh, I think this is a success. Uh, hopefully it was recorded and uh, I'll, uh, we'll release it. Uh, uh, until next time, thanks to everybody who showed up and especially those who did. We'll see you again.